Galatians, the second chapter. And I want to read the two verses that I was reading there. It said, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, talking to Paul, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They were to continue preaching the gospel to the heathen while the pillars of the church preached to the Jew. But then they said this, only they asked us to remember the poor. And one day I was reading that and it just hit me. I had been around the world preaching in many nations and I never fed anybody and never did anything humanitarian whatsoever because that just wasn't my deal. But I'm going to tell you, if Paul needed to be reminded to remember the poor, then I myself I needed to be reminded as well. And you don't understand what the poor is. In America, we spend, uh, I read an article that said we spend about 10% of our income on food. That's to eat. A family uh, probably spends 10% of what they make on their food. That's some of us, 15. But in Haiti and India, they're spending 80 to 90% of their income and sometimes more than they have to eat. And I remember being uh, at one of our churches that we had built and we had just fed a bunch of kids and we have some girls there that help us with a weekly Sunday school. We have more than 150 kids that come every week and we take care of them, uh, give them snacks and food and, and the gospel. And uh, after we were done, we went over to the two girls and just said, why don't you come eat with us? They started crying. Well, I have girls, they cry. But never when you're saying, let's go eat. So I didn't understand that. And I found out that the girls that have been helping us do the Sunday school, they hadn't ate in four days. And I know that, you know, if you're fasting and you don't eat for four days, that's one thing. But how many know if you don't have enough to make it? So I'm going to tell you what happens when you feed these children. The children all come to the Lord. When we put a water well in a place where they've been going as much as two miles away, uh, carrying a bucket on their shoulder, I don't know. I have uh, some five-gallon buckets I use sometimes to wash the car. I can't imagine walking up hills, walking around up, up the side of the riverbed with that on my shoulder. I don't even like carrying it from the garage. But this is what they do on a daily basis. And what it begins to do, it changes the community. And when we put it at a church, that church becomes the focal point. And some of the churches, we got a pastor that stands outside uh, the well in the afternoon. They open up the gate in the afternoon, let people in after school. And he just sits out there and preaches all afternoon. It's a great evangelism tool. So I'm just going to challenge you tonight to remember the poor. And I want you to do something great for the kingdom of God. Maybe you'd like to do a water well. We're doing water wells for $2,000. And when you do a well, how many understand every cup of water that comes from that well, the Bible said that you get a reward. The preacher didn't say it. The pastor didn't say it. The evangelist didn't say it. But God said that you'll not lose your reward when you give a cup of water in his name. So what if you give a well and, and 10,000 people are drinking from that well? What happens? We're just getting a reward every time. I'm just, I, I sometimes uh, get up in the morning, take a drink, and I think, you know, I wonder how, many, how, many, how much of a reward I'm going to get today because we've done something for somebody that needs some water. You know, I, I don't know if you think that way, but, you know, some people say, well, I don't do it expecting anything. How many understand faith pleases God, so I expect to be blessed. I expect him to give back, like he said, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I expect him to reward because that's what he said. So I'm going to go with what he said over our little religious stuff that we don't like when, you know, somebody says, well, you're doing that to get something. Well, yeah, I want the blessing of God on my life. 
So I'm going to challenge you tonight to do something great for the kingdom of God. Just in uh, a couple of weeks now, maybe three weeks, uh, Lily and Sally and I will be in Haiti. Just us three. We've never done that, but we're going to do it this time. And, and we're going to be the children's church workers. We're going to be the children's church feeders. We're going to be the evangelists. We're going to be the demon caster outers. We're going to do it all. All right? And uh, you can help send us there, and we just believe God. This church has been a great blessing to us so many times, and I know God's speaking to your heart tonight. Do what he says, and it'll be plenty for the kingdom of God. Pastor, come on. I might go with you on that uh, trip just to see you do children's ministry. I love the way he says we, kind of like the way we did the digital stuff in my truck yesterday. Amen. We as in he. Hey, ushers, come on down tonight. Amen. Have you enjoyed this meeting? It's been a great meeting. Amen. Lives have been challenged. Lives have been touched. There have been people that have given their heart to the lo- and life to the Lord. There have been people that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. There have been people that have been set free. There have been people that have been delivered. Uh, it's been a great meeting, and it's not over. We're going to have a great, great night tonight. I'm believing God this is going to be the greatest night of all. And uh, you've heard the challenge from Brother Doug, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but just simply tell you that it's time to step up to the plate. You've uh, delayed long enough. It's the last night, so now I need you to come through for me, all right? So we're about halfway home is where we're at in the offering this week. We're about halfway there, so we're going to finish the other half tonight. I've been challenging some of you to join my wife and I to invest Uh, $1,000 in this meeting. Uh, For some of you, you can do more than that. And uh, for others, much less than that. But I want to challenge you to do the very best you can, understanding that we are making an investment in the kingdom of God. We're making an investment in souls uh, that's going to last throughout all of eternity. Father, I just pray that you will speak to the heart of the people tonight. God, I pray they will obey you. God, I pray, Lord, that it will not just be enough, but there will be an abundance supply, Father, for your kingdom and for your glory. And Father, we just pray blessing, Lord, upon this offering. Father, blessing, Lord, not only on those that give, but we pray blessing on those that receive. God, I pray, Lord, that you will help them to use it wisely, Father, that it might win many to Christ. Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for giving. Thank you for joining with me and believing in the vision that God has given to me to give to this house. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord. Great to be here tonight, and I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I never, uh, well, when I first started going overseas, I got embarrassed to ask people to help me. But when I saw people coming to Jesus, I said, I'm never going to be ashamed to ask people to help me win souls because together that's what we're doing. When you underwrite these things, together we get a reward. How many believe that? Amen. I am so uh, thankful that years ago uh, God brought a pastor into my life. We've been friends a long time, and uh, I got to preach for him one time on a Wednesday night long, long time ago, and it was one of those Wednesdays. They were actually going into their new building, and he about canceled me. Thank God he didn't. Because we've been friends a long time, and he needs, a, he needs me to be his friend because when we play golf, he beats me like a drum. But uh, we, we do like to hang out together, and I thank God uh, for the blessing he's been in my life. And I pray uh, great blessings upon the Grace Place for what you're doing around the world. I thank God for the vision that you have for souls and missions. And I believe, uh, how many know it's just going to get better and better? Amen. I believe that. Praise God. Good to have my wife here and and um, both of my daughters, Lily and Sally. And uh, I didn't get to see my wife before church. She kind of got stuck in traffic on the way in. So I got to hug her when I came in. And uh, I'm glad she's here. Wave your hand at everybody. All right. Can you do it like Miss America? Okay. All right. And then uh, Lily, wave your hand to everybody. All right. All right, Lily's a junior, senior in high school. I almost said junior. All right, she's already, they're already done in in Tulsa. So uh, she's going to be a senior, and then Sally's here and going to be a junior in college. Praise God. It happens fast, doesn't it? 
So praise God. Well, in the foyer, I'm going to mention we do have the the T-shirts that are kind of Patagonia-like. All right? just says go on it. How many know where to go into all the world? How many understand we need to do some action and do something? And uh, I think that while we're waiting for something to happen, we ought to do something. But uh, the back has a scripture about declaring his glory to the nations. Those are $20 in the back. We got a bunch of sizes there. And uh, then uh, if you get five preaching CDs, it's the best deal we have for $25. And, you know, years ago when I got saved... I listen to preaching all the time, and I still, if you go onto my phone, my phone is loaded with preaching. I love to hear preaching of the gospel, and, uh, but I found out something. You can't sin while you listen to preaching, and when I was first saved, I needed some help. My flesh was very, very strong, but how do you defeat the flesh by the spirit and God's word. So I'm going to tell you, you ought to put the word of God in your heart on purpose. You remember David, he said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And, uh, you know, maybe you don't have any issues with sin, but uh, the rest of us do. And we need God to help us and his word will give us the victory. Amen. How many believe that? All right. Let's stand together if you will. And I want you to look at John chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. And I'm preaching this tonight because uh, I think that the world has been given a lot of false information about love. And uh, we live in a day where people do not really know what love is. They've got their mind made up what love is. But what does the Bible really say about love? Let's see what Jesus said about love. John 15, verse 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Father God, thank you for your word. I stir up the gift of the Holy Spirit within me. Lord, tonight I come uh, and I come boldly to the throne of grace where we ask for mercy. Lord, if we ever needed you, we need you tonight. Lord, we declare that nothing uh, uh, shall hinder a move of God. We've been praying in this place today for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation. Lord, we're believing for them uh, to uh, uh, move in this place that we may profit by their manifestation. We declare today that uh, the word will not return void, but it will prosper in that which it is sent. We believe tonight for a great revival that you'll speak to young people here, that they'll rise up with the power of God in them. Let them rise up with a backbone. Let them rise up with iron. Let them not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray even in this place tonight that there'll be uh, people called to the nations of the world, that there'll be people called to to pastor great churches and there'll be people that will be called to evangelize and to do the work of the ministry. Lord, that you would stir us up, that we would hear from heaven. Lord, I know tonight that I'm speaking, but I pray, Lord, that everyone would hear from heaven tonight, hear from you. We're depending on you, Lord, to see us through in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Before you're seated, tell two or three people when nothing else could help, love lifted me. Come on, tell somebody, love lifted you. Hallelujah. And then you can be seated. That sounds like that'd be a good song, wouldn't it? (laughs) On December the 2nd, 2015, just a little less than a half a year ago, Shannon Johnson told a co-worker, her name was Denise Peraza, he said these words, he said, I got you. As he shielded her, shielded her with his body under the table at the county health department massacre, in San Bernardino, California. Now, the sad part about this is Shannon died, but Denise lived. 
Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The epitome of love, the perfect example of love, Jesus told us. And I believe tonight uh, the world has given us a bad idea what love is, but I think tonight we need to give all the love that we can and then give a little bit more. Again, Jesus says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 43 and 44, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That may be the hardest part of the Bible for a Christian to live. We like to hate our enemies and curse those that curse us. And surely those that persecute and use you are not getting any prayer. That's really the way it is. You cut me off, I'll get you back. Road rage. I've told this story about how I got involved uh, with India and water wells there, but I met a young man in Guatemala. He's an Indian from India, and his name was Sammy. Sammy, I met him there, and uh, he told me that he came to Tulsa once a year to visit his in-laws. He went to school at Valley Forge, uh, Assemblies of God College there in Pennsylvania, and, uh, but he is a youth pastor in Bangalore. But I didn't ask any more questions. And when he came to Tulsa, he said, I'll call you. And I said, I'll take you to lunch when you come to Tulsa. I didn't ever expect to hear from him. It was one of those things like, yeah, when you come, uh, you know, I'll take you to lunch. You know, like uh, you say to your mother-in-law and pray she never comes. (laughs) But he showed up in Tulsa and he said, Doug, I'm in Tulsa. And I said, well, let's go out to eat. We went out to eat. The next year he came back. I liked him. We went out to lunch again, and the next time we went and played golf. And then he came back the third year. We played golf, we had lunch, and we went to a University of Tulsa football game. And I just began to really like this young man. He's 23 years old at that time, and, and I just enjoyed his enthusiasm for the Lord and just liked hanging out with him. And he calls me about a month after he'd gone back to India, and he said, my dad is in the United States. He said, my dad is preaching the 100-year celebration for the Assemblies of God. I I said, Sammy, who in the world is your dad? If I'd have known who his dad was, I'd probably messed it up. He said, well, my dad pastors uh, just a little struggling church in Bangalore. They just have 23,000 in attendance on Sunday. They have 13 services. They begin at 5.30 in the morning and go all day long. He said, my dad is preaching the 100-year celebration for the Assemblies of God, but Wednesday he's going to be in Tulsa. Is there anywhere you know he could preach? And I thought, well, Sammy's there too. And I thought, I began to rack my brain. I'll see, I'll see what I can do. And I called some friends of mine in Midwest City, Oklahoma. That's a suburb of Oklahoma City. And I called them and I said, uh, I've got a friend of mine here and his dad. And I told him who it was. I said, is there any way he could preach on Wednesday night? They said, bring him on. If, you, if you'll vouch for him, you, he'll, he can come. So Sammy did the youth service and his dad, Paul, did the main service. And I went expecting nothing. How many know most of the time you come to church on a Wednesday night, you don't have much expectation? Most of you come in on a Wednesday night. You're lucky I'm here, preacher. Don't act like you're so holy. I know how to. That's the attitude I had. I had that kind of attitude because I, you know, it's just one of those nights you, you do it and you pray, you get something good out of it. But most of the time it's just like, you know, he that endures to the end shall be saved. All right, whatever. Everybody say whatever. All right, so... That night, Brother Paul preached, and he preached so great that I'm telling you, I had never seen that church respond the way they did. It was tremendous. And it blessed me, and he told me that their church in one of the poorest nations of the world had raised uh, $650,000 U.S. dollars to build 100 churches. 
And he said, the first church we're going to build is for a young couple that their son had been kidnapped by militant Hindus. And he was 12 years old, and uh, they cut his head off and sacrificed that little boy to their many gods. He said, now it's not going to get their son back, but it's going to let those people know that we love them. And uh, he said, that's the first church we're going to build. They have church out in a cornfield. They cut the corn down. They have wood slats for benches. On the way back after church, we were driving that hundred miles from Oklahoma City to Tulsa. And I said, Brother Paul, I said, look, you're building a church there for a family that their son was sacrificed. I said, do you think that that church could use a water well? He begins to cry in my car. And he says, Doug, if we drill a well... It will be the gospel in action because the very people that killed that little boy will be the people that come to get water from that well. It will be the part of the Bible that is the hardest where we bless those that curse us. And I knew why I had decided to do that because every year I say, Lord, I want to do more for the kingdom of God this year than I've ever done before. I'm not trying to keep up with last year. I want to far exceed. So I'm always looking for ways to extend myself. But this may be the hardest part of the Bible to adhere to. We talk about love. What is love? Love is described in the Bible, patient. Love is kind. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is a sign of being filled with the Spirit. But there's a general feeling in this world that Christians do not love, that we are judgmental and hateful. The world says, well, God loves everybody. And I say, who said he didn't? By my answer to those people that says God loves everyone, who says that he does not? But what is love? When I begin to talk about love, what is, we have to talk about what love is not. Love is not the same as permissiveness. Love is not the same as agreement, and love is not the same as supporting, and love is not the same as approval. See, God loves everybody but does not agree with everybody and does not approve of everything everyone does and he does not permit everything everybody does. He does not support everything everyone does. I got two wonderful daughters sitting on the front row. I love them with all of my heart, but every now and then they've done things I haven't approved of. But that didn't stop me from loving them. But God, he loves us, but he does not always approve, permit, support, and uh, uh, permit everything. The world says, if you love me, you have to agree with me and approve of everything I do. And if you don't, you're judgmental and hateful. But God does not always agree, approve, or permit and tolerate everything. I'm going to say this very clearly. People do not go to hell because God does not love them. People go to hell because they do not love God. Come on, I'm preaching better than your amen in here. So we've got to understand what the Bible says about love. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, it says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Another verse says, love does not behave itself unseemly, seek its own way, rude. It does not insist on its own way. We understand that if we love, we will not break the Ten Commandments. 
And none of us, you know, I, I hear people say, well, I had a hard time loving myself. I don't think we have a hard time in this narcissistic society loving ourselves. Everybody, I'm taking a selfie now. I've been in church. I, I, ha, I was at church one, not long ago. I had everybody get out their phone. Let's take a selfie. Put it on Facebook may, and act like you're happy so maybe people will come to church because they love uh, uh, how happy we were in church. But we don't have a hard time loving ourselves. It's about other people. But we've all heard the statement, so let's still talk about love. Teenagers, young adults, We've heard this, you would if you love me. People put pressure on others to do things and they use the words, you would if you love me. I'm going to be straight up here. I don't know if it's going to tick anybody off, but if you've got a television in your house, I guarantee you it's got a lot worse than what I'm going to say. See, what they... Young people use that, and, and boys are really strong about it. Young men will say, you'll have sex with me if you love me. All right, I just wanted to be clear. So nobody thought I was beating around the bush. I'm going to beat the bush. But this is not love. Someday when you fall in love for real, the greatest gift that you can give is your purity. Let me say it like this. Cinderella did not have to take her dress off to get her prince. I don't know what you wanted me to preach tonight, but this is what I got. Cinderella did not have to take her dress off to get her prince. I'm talking to some people here right where we live. Let's talk about some love. See, we use the excuse, well, everybody does it. You hear that all the time. I'm a Christian, I, I, you know, and everybody does it. So they say, if you can't be good, be safe. If you love, listen, Jesus said you'll not commit adultery. What is adultery? I don't even know if people know what that is anymore. But adultery is having sex with anyone that is not your husband or wife, whether you are married or unmarried. I need to be real clear because some people say, well, you know, I'm not married, so it doesn't matter. But I'm going to tell you, if you have any sex with anyone that is not your husband or your wife, it is adultery. So this includes shacking up. Come on, I'm preaching here. Now, premarital or extramarital sex would be adultery. So the Bible's talking to us about love being holy and pure. The world has quit talking about AIDS. I've noticed that, but there's still plenty of people around the world dying of AIDS. Now, because it's politically incorrect, I know people can get AIDS from a bad blood transfusion. They can get AIDS from, uh, uh, you, you know, other than uh, uh, having uh, homosexual sex. There, there's people that get AIDS other ways. But the truth is, because it's politically incorrect, we're not talking about that anymore. And most people that die from AIDS don't really die from AIDS. They die from something else failing, so we're not getting the correct uh, uh, statistics. All right, I'm not talking about Elvis being alive here. Are you hearing me? Some of you are going, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Hitler's in Argentina. But this, what I'm talking about, is the cure for AIDS. It's the cure for sexually transmitted disease. And if you don't like what I'm preaching, almost every book of the Bible renounces sexual sin. So love does not break the commandments. 
So love does not kill. Love does not steal. Love does not lie. Love does not covet. Love is self-sacrificing. Some of you are saying, well, these are old-fashioned rules and not relevant for today, preacher. You understand that the Word of God is eternal and does not change with the times. The Word of God is eternal and does not change with the time. And if we don't speak up, some will think they are okay even when they are destined for hell. I'm not trying to put anybody into hell. Are you understanding? I'm trying to keep people and warn them. And I will tell you, if I went to the doctor and I had something that was seriously wrong with me and he didn't tell me about it, then I would get ticked off and I would do everything I could to go against him but I will tell you the preacher that won't tell you the truth when you are destined for something terrible I would say he's worse than that people are seeking answers and must be told the truth in love Hebrews 13.4 says let marriage be held in honor among all This is why the same-sex marriage is not a victory. God says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. When someone gets married, we call it holy matrimony. So we invite God to the wedding, but then we invite the devil to the reception. Wow, that's a tough crowd for a Wednesday night. Some of you are going, yeah, I'm only here out of obligation. Hebrews 13.4 in the King James said, whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. In Revelation 21.8 it says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Some of us say, I can't live a pure life because of love. We have a hard time. There's people that say, I cannot live this life because of love. Well, maybe you should do it because of hell then. There's a few people say, well, I just don't believe God would allow that. I hear people say that. I just don't believe God would allow that. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man. That's the first thing you need to learn in theology. God is not man. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Listen, if we want the blessing of God in our life, we must obey His Word. All right? God's intention is to protect with marriage. His intention is to protect that which is so precious. Isaiah 1, 19 and 20, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, obedience tonight, we'd have to say that faith is what pleases God, but the truth is, obedience is the proof of your faith. We say we have faith, I have faith, I have faith, but when you're willing to do what he says, that is the proof of your faith. And obedience is the lever that will lift man to his next level of blessing and promotion. You're looking for a blessing and promotion. It is all hooked to obedience. Obedience is the lever that will lift a man to his next level of blessing and promotion. Obedience produces a life of the highest blessing. What about those that say, well, you know, I just kind of fell into sin. Or... I was enticed into sin or I was just, it's just uh, uh, my nature. I was attracted to it. Well, mine too. We were all sinners. We have all sinned and, and come short of the glory of God. My old nature was to sin. My old nature was to be hateful. My old nature was to 
uh, uh, just gratify my flesh, whatever I wanted. But when I came to Christ, old things passed away and all things became new. But what about those that say they fell into sin or were enticed or attracted to it? You remember in the Bible a young man by the name of Joseph? Joseph is 17 years old. And he has a bunch of brothers that don't like him. Because somehow he's the favorite. That's why my sisters don't like me. I'm the favorite. Yeah, whatever. Everybody say whatever again. But Joseph, they think he's their dad's favorite, and it seemed to be he was. But he's 17 years old, and they were going to kill him, but instead they sold their brother into slavery. But the Bible says there's some things that are interesting about Joseph. He's sold into slavery, but the Bible said God was with him. How many know you can go through some stuff, but if God's with you, kind of changes everything. And it says that God delivered him. So God was with him and God delivered him. And then the third thing it says about Joseph, God gave him favor and wisdom. Wow. How many understand if God can do that for a 17-year-old, then he can do it for some teenagers here tonight. And he can do it for your family tonight. Amen. God was with him. God delivered him. And God gave him favor and wisdom. I don't know what's coming down the road for public schools in America. Looks like some crazy bills coming down the road to me. But I'm going to tell you, in the midst of it, God can be with you, God can deliver you, and God can give you favor and wisdom. If you believe it, shout amen. Now, here he is. He's been promoted to be the help to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife, she's the first cougar She's an old lady that likes a young man. I'm pretty sure you can watch this on E. But Potiphar's wife had her eye on Joseph, and truthfully, she just wanted to sleep with the young man. Some might say, well, that's pretty harmless. He's 17. But Joseph said this, How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Folks, you're not sinning against yourself, but you are sinning against God. God's involved with this. You're not getting by with it. He's the judge. He sees it all. But here the Bible says she tempted him daily. Every day, Cougarville. Somebody need to spray her down with a hose. I probably shouldn't have said that, but I did. But she tempted him daily till one day she took a hold of him and his clothes. And when he ran, somehow she got a hold of his clothes and he left without his clothes. And he was put in prison. But because the Lord was with him, the Lord made him to prosper. This woman was not ugly. Potiphar had a good-looking wife. This is not, you know, some one-tooth person. I apologize to all the one-tooth people in church. Because I'd be right there with you had I not had a good dentist. Thank God. It's just amazing what a lot of money will do to make your mouth look better. You say, well, I had a dentist come up to me. I was preaching on the Holy Ghost. 
On a Sunday morning, I preached, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? A dentist came up to me after church. I didn't know he was a dentist. He said, he's crying in the foyer. He said, that's the best message I've ever heard. I've never heard anything like that. I'm Church of Christ. I said, I bet you haven't. (laughs) He reaches over and does this to my lips. Like I'm a horse. That's pretty awkward when somebody... When somebody touches your lips, you know, and I'm just sitting there, I'm stiffening up. And he says, I'm a dentist, I want to help you with your teeth. You know, I was more with a cleft palate, you have lots of issues with your teeth when you have those kind of things. And he gave me over $20,000 worth of dental work. How many know God can do anything? So if I offended you because your teeth are messed up, hey, a dentist can help you. <laughs> and you preach on the Holy... The, the moral of the story is preach on the Holy Ghost and a Church of Christ dentist will help you too, all right? But she's not ugly. And he could have said, well, you know, I'm 17, I have needs. Nobody will know. I think I can get by with this. And he even could have used rejection as an excuse. He's rejected by his family, his brothers. And a lot of people use rejection. Well, nobody likes me, and then they go crazy. They do weird things. Rejection. My father, he didn't love me. So I'm 20 and I'm going to start dating a 60-year-old man. But that's why people do those kind of things. And don't get mad at me. I'm touching a lot of nerves here. The views of the evangelists are not necessarily that of the management. I'm I'm covering myself right here. But he could have used an excuse. He could have said, man, I've been rejected. I deserve the cougar. (laughs) Let me say it like this. The magnitude of your rejection can become the platform for the quality of success you pursue. The magnitude of your rejection can become the platform for the quality of success you pursue. I've seen people that go through things and they come out on top. And I've seen other people they go through things and they, it ruins their life. Use it as a platform to go to another level. Your rejection you should use it to fuel your vision, your dreams, and your desires. See, Joseph makes it more clear. He said it like this. He said to his brothers, you meant it for evil but God has turned it for my good. Somebody's going through divorce, I'm going to tell you, they meant it for evil, but I'm going to tell you, God can turn it for good. The devil is a liar. Are you hearing me? Somebody here has been treated ugly by people, but the devil meant it to destroy you, but God can turn it around and make something out of it and give you a, a platform to go to a higher level. But we know something. He's tempted, but he ran the right direction for the right destination. Some want to run the wrong direction and wonder why they wind up in the wrong destination. Let me say it like this. I thank God for a godly mother. Seemed like she could know anything I did wrong. I thought, man, she just knows everything. But my mother, I remember I was getting ready to go to college. And she said, look, Doug, Jesus could come at any moment. And I'm, I, I agree with that. She said, but listen. She said, you need to keep your pants zipped. Because if your pants aren't zipped, you may miss the rapture.
Some of you are trying to take that in a little bit. I see some of you checking the front of your pants. But that's not what I'm talking about. This is good mother stuff right here. This is a mother that loved me. This is a mother that cared about my eternity. And some of you are going, we shouldn't talk like this. And yes, we should. Let me give, me, let me give you another one of my mother deals. I'm attending the University of Oklahoma. Don't hold that against me. There's no refunds for the Longhorn fans. But the truth is, I'm going to the University of Oklahoma. I'm running from God. I do not want to be a preacher. And I joined a fraternity there, and, and when I'm in that fraternity, you know, you do what fraternity boys do. And one of my buddies, he was the, my best friend, Southern Baptist preacher's son. So we got an Assemblies of God pastor's son and the Southern Baptist preacher's son. We are best friends. He comes in my room one day and he says, Doug, let's go to Oklahoma City. And I go, woo, yeah, let's go. He said, where are we going? You know, I said, where are we going? He says, we're going to the Red Dog Saloon. I did, he's going, woo. And I... All of a sudden, I stopped going, woo. I just, I looked at him and said, I'm not going. Now, you've got to understand, I'm in a fraternity in the 80s. The Red Dog Saloon was a biker bar where women danced naked, all right? And I wanted to go. But I could hear what my mother said. A different time. She said, if you go to a place like that and get stabbed, who's going to pray the prayer of faith over you? Now, you've got to understand the thought I'm having. This is a biker bar. I'm in a fraternity. I'm like wearing a pink shirt with my collar sticking up. All right, plaid pants. Are you understanding this? If I go to a biker bar looking like that, I deserve to get stabbed. Sometimes you've got to run in the right direction. See, there's people that are here tonight, you can't get victory over some things. And you say, well, you know, I'd like to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And the truth is, you need one, but you need more. There's a lot of these sports heroes that they talk about, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I pray they do. But when you hear about them going clubbing, I guess their mom didn't tell them the same thing that my mom told me. Because... You know, they'll say, I love Jesus out of one side of their mouth. And... But the Bible says not only do you have to have a relationship with him, he must be the Lord of your life. And when he is Lord and only then, old things pass away and all things become new. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Listen, a person who's running to win has made a choice to lay everything else down for the sake of the prize. The Olympic athletes that, that win, they're not out partying. They're not out messing around, but they said, I'm going to sacrifice to win the medal. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Tonight there are people that are sitting here that you're under conviction because of sin in your life. 
How do I know that? Because I'm going to tell you, we had prayer in this building, and I prayed I, over every seat in this place that people that came in with sin in their life would be under conviction. Because I'm going to tell you something. When I'm 19 years of old, of age, running from God, thank God there was conviction. I don't know where I'd be, but for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that. Uh, that drew me to Jesus. I was so far away, but I'm going to tell you, He got a hold of my heart. Listen, you remember Jesus, he goes to the well. There's a woman there. He says, hey, what's happening? He's talking to her. He's telling her about living water. And uh, they get talking and he says, go tell your husband. And she goes, well, I don't really have. She goes, yeah, well, you've had five husbands and now you're living with one. But you notice something? He forgave her. He can forgive you wherever you are or whatever you have done. That's how nice and great and grace Jesus has. Listen to me tonight. I get around sometimes and I get hearing this that sin's no big deal. I hear it. I hear preachers say you can live any way you want. And God's grace covers it. Well, that's not what grace is. Grace isn't about God overlooking your sin. It's God chasing you down. All right? He's not some kind of passive God that overlooks your mess. I'm going to tell you, the grace of God hunted me down and drew me to Jesus. That's what grace is. Sin's no big deal. We were talking one day. And I don't really have all the answers because it's hard. I, I would hate to be a pastor because they have to deal with stuff that I don't have to. I'm leaving tomorrow. I stirred up some stuff. And then I leave. But listen, talking in, a young man had been in a car accident with his wife and daughter, I believe, and truck hit the side of the car and the last thing that this young man said was a four letter word right before he died bam four letter word fill it in with whatever one you used to use we got talking did the guy go to heaven or not well I pray for that he did I, you know I, I want everybody to go to heaven but I, I'm a little bit on the side of out of the abundance of your heart your mouth speaks that's in your heart. So I'm glad I didn't have to preach his funeral because I can't put him into heaven. Only God can do that. But I'm here to tell you something. If sin were no big deal, then Jesus did not need to come. If you can just do whatever you want to do, then he, he should have just sent some book by the, some weird angel and didn't have to send Jesus. But Jesus came to this earth to live a spotless life and he took our sin upon him that we might be free from the burden of sin. Thank God for Jesus. Amen.